Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So, get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who loves duck comics, loves talking about the stories of Carl Barks, and um, I sure do enjoy reading Barks comics for the first time. So that that's what we're going to be doing today. We've got um, one of our our second very unusual episode where I'm essentially going to be going in cold and reading a Barks adventure story for the first time. The listeners, we've got the golden nugget boat up today. And for one reason or another, I just never read this story. You know, I, I thought I had gone out of my way to read every adventure length story a long time ago. I accepted that, you know, I was going to miss some 10 pagers here and there. This, of course, was before they started to collect, to make the Fanographics, you know, collections fairly available. But anyway, um, I, I, I explained that last time I had overlooked the Forbidium bin because its title just evoked some other titles for me that I thought I had read. But I don't know exactly why I've never read the Golden Nugget book, except to say that it just it hasn't been widely printed around the time that I was collecting these. So that said, let me bring in the most important the most important part of this episode, though what what's gonna make it work is I am very grateful to returning guest Mikkel Hagen. Uh, welcome back, Mikkel. Oh, thank you, Mark. It's always a pleasure to come back and talk some barks and especially about the little this little nugget we have here. Yeah, and it's always a pleasure to get to um, to talk to you about them. But but this this one is going to be uh, the burden is going to be especially on you because um, I've asked you to kind of invert this for the episode. I am going to let you essentially lead the discussion, um, and and you're going to tell me about the Golden Nugget Boat, which again, apart from the first page, I've never read this one as of now. Um, so we're going to be going through this, and I'm going to be kind of reacting to it live. Um, so Mikkel, tell us why, why do you think you are like well suited to talk to us about this story. Well, this is a story I remember very well from my own childhood. I did read it early on in a, in a book I rented from the library alone. <laughs> yeah, I found memories of it, and it was really fun to revisit it now and read it again and to see if I liked it, liked it as much uh, as I did as a child. And uh, I can also start to say that uh, there is a lot of things with this story that I didn't think about back then, that I see fairly clearly now about the structure and uh, kind of the point of the story and what Barks is trying to tell us here with the Gladstone Luck versus Scrooge um, experience. This is kind of a story about Uncle Scrooge going back to prove himself, to see if he still still got it. And I thought it would be a good idea to go back a little and look at the overall Barks Klondike gold rush stories. Not um, before we all actually start to talk about the golden nugget boats. I will look a little back on only a poor old man and back to the Klondike where Bark started this uh, mythology about Uncle Scrooge. So I will look a little uh, or we will talk a little about how Barks got the inspiration for Klondike and Klondike stories to begin with, with uh, 
many started to develop uh, Uncle Scrooge as a character, and uh, and then we will get into more of this story and the other later Gold Rush stories like Looney, Lunar Gold Rush, and just quickly talk about how this story compared to those others and how Bark's view on the Gold Rush and how we choose to present it kind of changed from back to the Klondike to the Gold Nugget boat and then north of the Yukon with the which is the late, latest one. But before that, what do you know about the story, Mark? And what, what do you kind of think about it? Yeah, that's a good question, right? So, um, um, yeah, when I when I think about this story, right, I, I mentioned that I've seen the first page. I think I, I think I saw it from a preview since it's like the title of uh, the title story in one of the later fan graphics collections. For whatever reason, it's yep. the featured story in the Golden Nugget boat. But like having done this now uh, for many many episodes and and knowing a lot more than when I started about Barks. I know where we are in terms of like his chronology, right? We're in, we're yeah. kind of into the early 60s at this point. This is like kind of a time when he's a little bit on the downswing. Um, he's getting a little closer to retirement. We still have some great stories out there. Wonderful storytelling. His art is, is not quite what it once was during his golden no. age but but like it still it still compares extremely favorably to a, a lot of his contemporaries right um, yeah I, I did also notice that there is some there are some panels in the story that are more well drawn than others and others for barks looks a little more sloppy yeah it'll be an, it, interesting to see what i can kind of you know notice i know that he's mostly doing much shorter stories these days right and and just seeing the cover of this is kind of enough to suss out that it has to do with gold prospecting. You you framed it as being like kind of the Gladstone luck versus the Scrooge experience. That sounds interesting because um, that's a dynamic that we don't always get to see. Um, no, I think this is perhaps the first first adventure story where they... Well, there have been previous ones like Race to the South Seas, but um, that was Donald versus Gladstone. Yeah, well, that, that's that's going to be a fun dynamic. So anyway, I am curious. Like, I think the big thing that I'm the most curious about is like there is a there is an actual boat made of gold that I saw on the cover of the Fanographics collection that has this. So in, in my head, I'm like, OK, that looks a little bit that looks very specific. Um, it has like a very specific look to it, a very specific design. And and I'm wondering how significant that's going to be, you know, in the story or if it's just if it's a big part of it or if it's just kind of a little throwaway thing. But I'm definitely curious to see how we get to that actual um, boat made of gold. Yeah, the kind of pantographics book does definitely kind of spoil the ending a little. Um, also kind of wonder why they didn't just go for Midas Touch as the title story for uh, volume 10 to 6 uh, in the Uncle Scrooge library. It might be because, to me at least, it seems like Fantagraphics like to use uh, gold in their titles for the Uncle Scrooge books. Because they did, after all, change the title for um, The Seven Cities of Cibola into The Seven Cities of Gold. So. Yeah, always, always a random random decision. Yeah, so the important thing is to go a little back to see how this story compared to mainly back to the Klondike, which is the definitive big Klondike story. Both only for old man and back to the Klondike introduced the whole idea about Uncle Scrooge being a self-made man. A prospector who was tougher than the toughest and smarter than the smartest. So, and kind of to make him more sympathetic and justify his fortune. So for the inspiration for this, Barks 
went for and picked up the book um, Klondike 98 by Little Anderson Becker. Where he got a background and uh, photos and uh, stories he could use for inspiration for uh, the whole Klondike thing. And you also have to remember that uh, Klondike was recent history to Barks. He was after all born in 1901. So <laughs> he would know and heard stories from people we either knew or even venture to the gold fields themselves yeah you know Mikhail, i i remember as a kid like these stories felt very um the the gold rush stories they felt very personal to me i I didn't think of them as being like this exotic thing because i grew up in california um a lot of our state history classes like in in the formative years when i was reading these would be about you know there was a big gold rush that was like key to the founding essentially of california coming in as a state. Um, So it seems like pretty normal to me in a way that I imagine it must. Did it feel more, does the idea of a gold rush feel a little more exotic to you, I wonder? Well, to me, it's actually, it doesn't really feel like ancient history to me either. I I do also have um, ancestors who went to the gold gold rush in Klondike in 98. They're not direct uh, ancestors, but uh, they are relatives. That's pretty cool. And and you're... And and we should have mentioned you hail from Norway, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I guess that's another element where the 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 kind of climate and the topography prob- of of the Klondike are probably a little bit familiar. Yeah. So yeah, they ventured all the way from Norway, and should mention that a lot of Scandinavians uh, went there. The, the Klondike '98 book mentions a lot of Swedes going there. So right. And, uh, as I've heard, my relatives did find gold. So they um, not enough to become rich, but uh, at least. And, uh, enough to make some jewelry and out of it and bring back home right yeah i vaguely yeah, remember so, so. talking about about this book for the um for the back to the Klondike episode i didn't didn't go into too much detail just because there was so much to talk about with that like legendary story i feel like this some of the subtext here is that no one ever talks about the golden nugget boat but they do talk a lot about back to the klondike and, and a fair amount about north of the yukon so like it's kind of obvious where they they stand in in fans memories yeah there's no of course the Bark's very earliest Klondike stories and his very latest one are, after my opinion, also his best stories on the subject. So the middle ones are kind of slightly more forgettable, especially Looney Lunar Gold Rush, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of a more campy story. <laughs> yeah, campy is a good way. But I think that's at least something it's got going for it, you know? It stands out. So, so Mikael, why don't you mention at this point where we are in terms of the publication? So, yeah, the Golden Nugget Boat is, of course, from the very early 60s. Marks made the Golden Nugget Boat in February of February 1961, and it saw its first publication in um, June, 22nd of June 1961, in Uncle Scrooge uh, 35. So yeah. we, are, we are past Mark's glory days, the goal and the peak of his production. As you mentioned, Mark was probably feeling more tired at this point, looking more forward to retirement. And he's also in a more cynical period of his life. He has lost, uh, he doesn't really see the world as his romantic uh, place where you can go exploring anymore and find new uncharted territory. So 
Crocs would later in his life complain that places like Egypt now is too crowded for National Geographic to replicate the, the glory of the past in their photos, and that the world will be general, generally too crowded and too explored with no mysteries left. And I think that reflects his view on the Klondike myth in this story, because this story kind of presents Scrooge youth as more tall tales, or he makes the readers sort of uncertain if it's all Scrooge's uh, past experience in Klondike just stories. Wasn't this uh, so tough as he uh, made it out to be? Because uh, back to the Klondike uh, makes it's more grounded in reality. There's Donald carrying Scrooge up uh, Kilkut Pass as a as a backpack and with mosquito blankets and so on. But it still feels more real and romantic. And you don't you are never doubting that Scrooge went there and actually made a fortune. It feels very gritty and grounded, yeah. as you say. Well, this story immediately sort of makes Scrooge, even as we will see, makes his story seems like tall tales. But then again, the story will sort of later on prove that Scrooge uh, maybe aren't that far off from reality after all. It's going to be, I think, interesting having Gladstone feature in a Scrooge adventure because I'm I'm trying to think I, I think you're right he hasn't really he hasn't played off this dynamic before like they'll both show up in stories occasionally but but not for extended times and you know there's a contrast here because they're both original Barks characters but we're reading this story in Uncle Scrooge a title called Uncle Scrooge not one called Gladstone Gander so like it's it's obvious which character he likes more and and which character the the audience likes more there's a reason he like switched almost completely at some point to doing uncle scrooge adventures rather than donald Duckers. yeah no but we also have to remember that uh, apparently western publishing was the ones who asked him to do it so right i would think that barks was proud of actually making a new comic book line with his own creation as the title title character right and and Western never never directed him to that they wanted to launch a Gladstone Gander um, <laughs> title. You you can tell Barks himself has mentioned that he he doesn't like Gladstone Gander very much. No, I remember there is a quote where he says that he would never have made any Gladstone comic book line. It would not have worked. So so let me ask you, in instead of like a kind of the normal titles from around the world, since you're hailing from Norway, um, why don't I do my funny shtick? At least I think it's funny, where I, I say the title. So I see here that at least in the um first publication, this this has gotta be a direct translation, I'm guessing, Mikkel. It says um Gulklum. Yes, I think that was a good uh, pronunciation of it. Yeah, the only thing yeah. that trips me up is the little A, the A with the little circle diacritic. I have no idea how yeah. you're supposed to say that one. How uh, does that actually go? Uh, it's an O, so uh, you, try, you pronounce it like Gullklumpbotten. Uh, Gullklumpbotten. All right, excellent. Yeah. And and was I right? Is that a direct translation here? Yeah, it is uh, as direct as you can get it in Norwegian. It just means uh, golden nugget boat or golden boat. 
Excellent. Yeah, I don't see any others that, that look too notable here. I noticed that the Icelandic one is also a direct translation. And then I, um, I can learn how to say nugget in Spanish, which is my, my I'm bilingual, but I didn't know that uh, La Gran Pepe pepita is the, the big nugget so all right so there we go we've checked that off so so yeah. Mikhail, it sounds it sounds like we're ready to start this off um very excited this is the very last barks adventure story um that that i haven't read so i i, I know i've got a few 10 pager gaps here and there um, but apart from that, uh, this is this is the completionist in me really likes this. So take it, take it away. Yeah, no, I'm glad to be here to share in this last Uncle Scrooge adventure with you, Mark. Yeah, so we have the opening panel of the story. Walt Disney's Uncle Scrooge, the Golden Nugget Bolt. We have this Barks, classical Barks splash panel, which makes it clear that Uncle Scrooge is very rich because we are inside this money bin. And um, I would like to mention that it strikes me that... Uh, as we know, moves into the 60s, Barks would never really draw this huge landscape with money mounts around anymore. It's kind of always making just enough money in the foreground to like make it clear that Scrooge is rich, but not, as, not the same huge splash panels like, for example, the opening splash panel to Back to the Klondike. Right, not enough for him to be swimming through. But anyway, the text box tells us that every few months, Uncle Scrooge calls his nearest of kin to his money bin to impress upon them the importance of working hard to get rich. So he has called upon Donald and Gladstone Gander, uh, sitting there in the money bin looking at Scrooge, who is holding up his finger and proclaiming that they should at, at this age uh, soak uh, away a fat fortune at your age. And then he's asking what they have got. And uh, what, what do Donald have, Mark? Yeah, he says he's got three weeks coming on my jobless pay. Whereas uh, Gladstone, this is the thing about Gladstone, he's always going to point out he doesn't need a fortune socked away because he's got his luck. Yeah, to which Scrooge uh, <laughs> just says, your luck, Gladstone. Bah! You don't know where your next meal is coming from. So well, um, Gladstone picks something up from an orange little box. And what is that, Mark? So it is like an old style um, sailing ship, right? A clipper ship or something that is made of solid gold. And he describes that there's like writing that says that it was fashioned from a single nugget found by an old timer in Alaska. Yeah, that's very, it's, it's a very uh, impressive little ship there. And it's a, it's a, it's of course Barks kind of presenting, uh, setting the stage for the Golden Nugget boats right away. Yeah, I feel like it's setting it's up a, a mystery, Mikkel, because yeah. like right now I want, I'm hoping that the story is going to tell me um, more about this specific boat later, right? Like the the structure that that I should be seeing. Yeah, it's definitely Barks setting up uh, the structure, the thing that will bind the whole story together. This this golden ship, if not exactly a running gag, it's going to be both both opposed to solutions and problems. All right. So um, yeah, Scrooge. Uh, it's really surprised to see that some dumbbell, as he says, uh, threw away that golden boat, and he wants to see it up close. So I'll just comment that that's the close of the page here. Um, I think this is a decent start for the story, right? It's um, yeah. it, it's interesting to see Gladstone in the money bin. I can't think of another time that I've seen, you know, like Gladstone being told so one of these like harangues by Scrooge in his in his money bin. 
Um, so it's kind of funny to see him lounging there. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a relatively strong set up here i'm i'm intrigued enough also the second page opens with uncle scrooge examining the ship saying that it's it's poorly fashioned but from a single nugget wow that that was quite a gold strike so overall gladstone is just saying that uh, he will sell it to uncle scrooge for 20 dollars which of course uncle scrooge <laughs> accepts and uh, gladstone is then smiling and saying you wonder where my next meal was coming from uncle scrooge and uh, that is 20 dollars will keep him keep him fed for quite a while so gladstone is going going out uh, the moonbeam door and uncle scrooge and don is following him and saying that he will probably he will profit on this gold boat um, as well and that will feed him <laughs> for the coming time yeah so if we've yeah. got like 20 bucks versus a, a large size gold nugget i mean that's got to be one of the biggest strikes ever given the size of the boat yeah well uncle scrooge is then Realizing that Donald and Gladstone probably haven't just don't see ways to get rich because Uncle Scrooge sees this golden nugget boat as an um, opportunity or more or less a sign of going back to the Alaska. But um, Gladstone as, uh, says that uh, if you're hinting that uh, Gladstone Gander should uh, stage a gold rush or do any kind of work, that's not his style, of course. But as they are going out to money being front doors, and uh, we see there is a really wind, uh, strong wind that day, there is uh, suddenly a little ticket blowing in straight into Gladstone's face with a huge splat. And that is, of course, uh, a ticket to get uh, to pass into. Um, that is, of course, a ticket to pass to our TV guide away show. One of the bar many famous uh, get on tv and i answer questions and then win a prize oh is that yeah. where he's gonna go is he gonna get on the okay all yeah. right that's um... that's interesting i can see so th this is the trope that happens to gladstone all the time right the wind blows yeah. a winning ticket or something into his hands i can see why barks tires of this because like it really is it really does feel kind of repetitive here. Yeah, I don't think Gladstone really does anything we haven't seen before in this story. He's, uh, maybe that's the reason why he feels even more annoying in the story. You never root to Gladstone at all here. Yeah, so I, I'm noticing something here um, that, you know, while this is happening to Gladstone, Scrooge is kind of pondering uh, almost wistfully Alaska gold. Does that part, like... Mm -hmm. Do you find that a little bit reminiscent of him thinking about, you know, events from Back to the Klondike and with his memory medication in that yeah. story? Yeah, I really do, Mark. That's, uh, that's a really good catch because, yeah, it is reminiscent of that. And also the way um, Scrooge is looking looking at Gladstone when he is looking at um, the ticket. Donald, of course, is just angry and saying, uh, it couldn't have happened to me. But Uncle Scrooge is yeah, thinking about his youth and kind of looking at Gladstone with a yeah, almost puzzled look. Right. But yeah, Gladstone uh, doesn't want to work, so he just lets the ticket fly away. <laughs> lets the wind take it. <laughs> Which, of, of course, Uncle Scrooge is not going to accept. And he calls him a shiftless gold brick. Don't you know you might be throwing away the opportunity of a lifetime? So he catches the ticket and tells um, Gladstone that he doesn't mind working a little if he can get a free ticket for that so well, and I, I'm annoyed with Gladstone for not for just letting it go away in the wind right instead of offering yeah. it to his cousin or 
or mm. to Scrooge. Yeah, but that's yeah, really showing that Gladstone isn't really a nice person or he's <laughs> kind of a jerk. Uh, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, Uncle Scrooge. So and, let, yeah. let me just um let me just comment here, right? So 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 far this is like this is all of our setup. This is this is like scene two where we get first we've seen the intro and the like golden nugget boat that's kind of kind of launch Scrooge to thinking about um, his prospecting days. Now we've got the little device that's going to get him there, but it's actually going to get him to, I've turned the page to look at this studio scene. He's like 50s and 60s game shows. This feels like a fun little bite of history to me, you know, because um, they were so big back then, quiz shows, and and they've they've basically disappeared from the air. You've got you've got them like Jeopardy, and you've got um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. So like they're still around, but they don't really have the cultural cachet that they do uh, that they did back then. They were also like renowned for being very corrupt, right? There were a lot of scandals mm-hmm. around these too. So I'm just I'm looking ahead a little bit to this, and I like this page a lot. This this so far. Uh, tell me what is the kind of main uh, through line with this page? This is this <laughs> is giving me this is giving me a real kick. I like this. So the main thing with this page is that Uncle Scrooge will tell um, the game master here about his days as an old as a sour doll back in 1898. Compared to back to the Klondike, where this seemed very real and grounded in reality, and you never doubt that Uncle Scrooge was there, you can, of course, debate whether or not uh, the whole uh, bar brawl was just him exaggerating or not. But personally, I've always read it as something that happened, at least more or less to the the way Scrooge described it. But here, here it just really sounds like tall tales. Yeah. And I, it, it is kind of like Barks just making a joke out of the whole Klondike uh, mythology. Right. I, I agree with you. I, I think I always regard it as real, maybe a little bit exaggerated for effect and because of the passage of time, but but ultimately real. Can, can I read one of the lines that I'm really enjoying here, Mikkel? Yeah, go ahead, Mark. So I see I see that the um the the like quiz show host is is at telling him, never mind showing your calluses. How cold did you find it in Alaska? And Scrooge is telling once when I was attacked by wolves, it was so cold, none of us dared stop fighting, lest we freeze stiff. We fought till spring, and even then, the first wolf that stopped froze solid, and the others had to huff at him all summer to thaw him out. Um, I, I love that. There, there's this great bit of Donald behind the curtain, kind of making a, oh, he's full of hot air face, and, and the game master kind of has a knowing expression and asking him i wonder if you found it windy <laughs> in alaska i'm, I'm just reading more of this because I, I really do like this he says mister i've seen willowas which is a, a type of storm so strong they blew out the northern lights once when i was and he cuts him off and says never mind i i don't imagine it's been as windy in alaska since you left Th- this is excellent this is delightful i i really like this scene this is great they they like it he likes his his hot air his, his tall tales so much that he gives him the tickets to the deluxe tour of the state um did you enjoy this part as much as i did i do find it very hilarious and funny that uh you know, uncle scrooge is uh, exaggerating um, his tales here but then again the story will show us elements that makes you wonder if did scrooge actually exaggerate as much uh, after all 
So that's something that I can kind of tell you, I guess, my impressions of, right? As we go through, I'll I'll kind of make the judgment. Oh man. So Barks is doing some great visual signaling here, right? When the guy gives him the physical ticket, it's like it's longer than it has to be, Mikkel. It's I mean, I guess, I I don't know, paper tickets were much more of a thing back before they all became digital. Um, But you can you can totally see what's about to happen. Yeah. So but then again, the the ticket is a deluxe tour of the whole state of Alaska. Right. So I guess it's got to include a lot, a lot of elements to it. uh, I suppose scooters needs a different ticket for each train or (laughs) flight and and so on. But uh, it's really... um, surprised that you mean that's all i got to do <laughs> he's really surprised that um, he didn't really need to do anything more to win this prize so. he was he was good tv that that was all he needed yeah. to do basically is be yeah. good television yeah so yeah uh, donald scooch is heading out again and uh, it's still as windy as it was uh, earlier on the day and uh, as you probably can guess what happens next uncle scooch loses loses ticket taken by the wind and blown over the, the Duckburg Tula River. Right. So and, so this is yeah. clearly <laughs> one of the stories where we're supposed to be annoyed by Gladstone, yeah. right? And I, and I am. I'm I'm really irritated um, at how easily he just got Scrooge's ticket. Um, yeah. It also does seem a little bit roundabout, a little bit of a circuitous way to get all the ducks to Alaska. You know, there there have been times that Scrooge has just paid everyone's fare in the past, depending on how Barks wants to go. But I guess I guess if you want to have, I guess here what Barks is looking to do, he he needs more opportunities to set up. He's got he's got a few characters to juggle right here, right? He's he's juggling Scrooge as very rich. He's juggling Gladstone as very lucky. Uh, Donald's almost an afterthought here, right? Yeah, both he and the nephews are just tagging alone uh, along really so but but i guess the fact that he's irritated by the loss of his ticket is a good way to get him to you know as he's about to pay for the ducks to to join him to to see him make a fortune the old-fashioned way i guess yeah because scrooge did want to go back even before uh, the first ticket flew around right into Gladstone's face. So right. the, the whole idea is just born with seeing the gold, uh, the little golden nugget boats. So yeah, it brings us back to the whole point of Uncle Scrooge just wanting to prove himself. This is more in a sort Uncle Scrooge versus himself almost. Right, right. So he's always got to have a foil. And if there's yeah. not like a specific treasure to hunt, then it has to be like a competition. Like I'm thinking of City of Golden Roofs when they both went off to... Indochina, but Donald was competing against him here. So I guess Gladstone is clearly who he's competing against. All right, I, I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing with this next scene. Tell us tell us about how they go about getting the tickets. Yeah, so Donald is trying to just tell Scrooge that perhaps it's it was better for him to just lose the ticket if Flondike was so awful as he is just told on TV. And he is, of course, saying the real thing that makes Uncle Scrooge angry. And uh, you're old now. And uh, and you'd find the going tougher and the gold scarcer. And Uncle Scrooge is scolding at Donald, saying, oh, so? And I really like the next panel here with Scrooge um, walking uh, with this angry expression and saying, I can still make the trip almost free. 
And as for the gold and the gumption, I will take you and the kids with me to show you that fortunes can still be found by all ducks with the steam to look for them. Yeah, so this seems it, it it seems like this might be setting up a bit of a theme, right? Is like, can you go back um and, and do what you once did when you're older? Yeah. That I think that's probably why I mentioned City of Golden Roofs, right? Because he was like about to make a journey where he was feeling trying to prove that he wasn't over the hill. So so I like the I the one that I alluded to that I liked is this next passage scene for whatever reason i like the way this is going yeah i uh, also like the next pass- passage because i find it's really wholesome because we have the works bringing back the gold and the little golden nugget boat which will of course pay for the duck's trip back to klondike right i, I like yeah. that scrooge is kind of regarding it as found money yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and i like so so he has the purser lay out enough to pay for a passage um, and and he weighs it out, and he said, "I mean, first, it's it's definitely comic book logic that this guy is set up to accept solid gold in exchange for passage, because even at that point, he's gonna say, I 'I can't put this in my cash register.' <laughs> um, but it definitely works, and so he's yeah. he's gonna charge them the masks and the smokestack. So I, I see, I've read enough barks to know where this is going, at least somewhat. I, I like this a lot." It kind of reminds me about also the way you, you and Louis got uh, over to Africa and uh, Voodoo Hoodoo, mm-hmm. uh, kind of in a way. Yeah, that's right. We've yeah. got a, a quiz show element of getting passage. Barks really does like yeah. his quiz shows. They've been in a lot of 10-pagers, um, but I guess they really were such a staple of TV at the time. Yeah, but it makes it also even more funny that Uncle Scrooge has to go to such lengths to save money. To get there when he of course could just have paid for the tickets from the beginning <laughs> but yeah they get back on uh, the boat uh, to alaska and it's uh, the boat is apparently called ss sardine mm-hmm. i like that detail <laughs> the names of the places here are probably a little more um, <laughs> silly and uh, silly gags from time to time compared to back to the Klondike, uh, because in the next panel, some days later, the nephew sees a totem pole, and uh, one of the kids says, golly, a stage struck tree. Yeah, that that part, so that the totem pole seems like a little bit of a throwaway thing. Barks has yeah. done a couple of stories with totem poles, and they were once the focus of a story, so it feels weird for the nephew to act like they'd never seen one, but... Um, yeah. But, but, you know, continuity. he's not really, yeah, continuity is not his thing. Oh, the most important thing here is just to, the ducks continue the travel. And uh, for each passage, uh, now they're going on the train and Uncle Scrooge being, bring on the little gold boat. And the cashier has to weigh the um, parts of the ship, uh, a cabin and a wheelhouse, and that is MTM dollars. Uh, so they pay for the train tickets and they will also pay for dinner aboard the train with uh, with the capstan uh, from the ship. So let me ask you, Mikael, do you know what a capstan is? I'm not quite sure what the capstan is, actually. It looks well, like a tiny little little ball. <laughs> yeah, I, I had, I've had i heard the term before, but I didn't know. It was the little um, thing that you use to wind up like a rope or I imagine the, the, sh- the ship's anchor, uh, too. So yeah. that's a fun thing. Yeah, I always like that Barks teaches me vocabulary that I don't know. You, you know, he's gearing this towards kids. And um, 
you get to learn something, right? Especially the nautical vocabulary. Yeah, but, uh, that's really why I find it funny to read these stories again now as, an, as a young adult in, in their original language. So what I like about this segment, I, I like... I like seeing the different ways that the ducks travel. I definitely feel like this is a real journey. I, I like that. I like seeing them on the boat and then on the train. And I guess this takes us to a set sequence that I would have to call a sourdough competition, which is a real thing, I believe. Yeah, I believe so as well. And uh, I like the details around there. Barks takes his time to actually draw shoes and um, equipment and so on in the, in the shopping windows. I also really like the term, what's this called in English again? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a fun, you're right, there's a fun bit with a thermometer where it goes well below where it should stop <laughs> and the gauge goes way down reflecting how cold it gets there. I really like it's there's the... a trap for sale. Uh, in the window that's called a tourist trap. So that's that's cute. Some of that bark cynicism that you're, you highlighted. Um, yeah. Mikael, I tried to look up if there is such a thing as a sourdough competition, but it's impossible to Google since people during the pandemic got way into baking sourdough bread because it's all about oh. sourdough. Oh. So, so um, but I know that like lumberjack contests are definitely a thing. So, yeah. Yeah. No, but uh, Scrooge uh, decides that he wants to join this competition because, of course, he's so here to prove himself after all. And what better way to do it than join? And um, we kind of get a gets the whole quiz show again in a way this uh, this guy that enlists people for the competition even looks slightly like the game master mm-hmm. he's kind of looking at Scrooge, saying that you're not serious old timer finding nuggets in these picked over hills is a job for young tough men and uncle Scrooge, of course makes sure to say i am tough and then uh, tells and we have a lot of older guys around smiling and looking over at them and I I really like the, this little moment in the segment here when he says that he made, he's bragging about making the strike that spawned this town in 1898. Um, and, and the guy is just totally unimpressed saying 10 other old timers have said the same thing today. So I, I like that setup. This is, I love Uncle Scrooge's full body wince. Carl, Carl Barks does a great job with those. And, yeah. and we're going to hear about the rules of the contest which is basically that it doesn't have any but yeah tell us about the con- competition so yeah the competition doesn't have any rules because they know all the old timers are honest men so which is which is belied by actual history of course the history of claim yeah. jumping and people yeah, like say soapy slick yep uh, i wouldn't say <laughs> i think don rosa make uh, make a good job of making it clear that <laughs> that was dangerous times <laughs> Each prospector is allowed to search anywhere among the hills and river bars. The one back in three days or less with the biggest nugget wins a sack of money and the title of champ. And who else is just arriving from the airfield? Yeah, we've got Gladstone Mm -hmm. Gander excited to to blunder into a contest that he thinks is tailored to his talents. This rings maybe a little bit false to me, right? This, that... This sounds immediately like work. Yeah. More more work than just answering questions on a quiz show, but uh, but that's fine. Yeah, Gladstone is after all the guy who thinks is think it is work to bend this back over to pick up a diamond from the streets. So. Right, but Barks is not super yeah. consistent with that. Just sometimes he'll do a lot more work than others. 
Yeah. So Norway, Gladstone shows up and says, you can sign me on too, old chap. My name's Gladstone Gander. And uh, Scrooge turn, turns around, really surprised. Gladstone, how did you get here? And uh, he just says, flew the looks. Showing Scrooge the ticket, which Uncle Scrooge, of course, immediately recognizes as his own. And he starts uh, start chasing Gladstone down the street. And uh, Gladstone jumps up the, uh, a big pole, which uh, there is a sign telling us that it's the famous and climbable polished spruce. So I, I like this. We can kind of tell immediately what's going on here, right? Even before I turn to the next page, I know that this is essentially going to be part of the sourdough competition. And it's quite funny that Gladstone in his, like, he doesn't look that afraid, but being chased is able to make it up to the top of the pole and Scrooge in his anger is able to make it almost all the way up to the top of the pole. I really liked that gag as well. It's, it is funny to see Seaglaston on top there when he throws down the ticket at Scrooge. And uh, of course, that means that Gladstone just won another competition. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Th I like um, this yeah. trope when someone like accidentally wins a competition. Um, Gladstone is, is going to be annoying to the ducks and the reader. In, in kind of the best way throughout this story. Yeah, he, he is, after all, a guy who, as a reader, kind of low, low to hate, almost. Yeah. So, yeah, but the most important thing about that is that, among a lot of other stuff, Gladstone wins this steam-heated cabin cruiser, equipped with a grub steak and complete prospector's outfits. Yeah. So it's all set up for going out looking for gold. Yeah, he gets to go in style. Yeah, Uncle Scrooge just lets himself fall down the, the pole and Donald and the nephew set to picking up, pick him up and he is just tired, saying, drag me away to the slag dump, boys. The worse a treat that gander, the luckier he becomes. So, Mikkel, I really like the like the lingo that Barks uses throughout. He's peppering in a lot of stuff that you um, you sense he probably learned a lot of reading. What what was it called? Klondike ninety eight. Is that the... yeah ninety eight? Yeah, the the background book. He's really getting a lot of elements. So I know that mucklucks. I think that's like footwear, if I remember right, a very warm footwear. Yeah. And then the slag heap. Um, slag. Yeah, that's I when think. you are digging a digging a mine and all the the rock you dig out. So. Right, all the waste rock that's not valuable. Yeah. Uh, so I see that we're going to get a contrast between how the ducks depart. Yeah. Uh, tell me, Mark, you do, I suppose you just looked up the photos of those uh, winter boots. Uh, am I right when I suppose Barks based uh, Scrooge and uh, the nephew's footwear on those uh, kind of shoes? Yeah, it does look like they have their own kind of fur-lined, you know, mucklucks. That's yeah. just fun to say. Yeah, it's also, I also really like this as a child, how Uncle Scrooge changed over to, it's not his usual coat, but it's very similar. Mm -hmm. Slightly different, more wintry, wintry coats. But then again, both Donald and nephews also have uh, black versions of that coat, so. Yeah, it's always fun to see the ducks wearing something a little bit different, right? I, I like it when he kind of, um, equips them for expeditions so yeah the all is set up for the adventure to begin and just as in back to the klondike we are walking aren't we and don't ask uncle scrooge why why aren't we taking a motorboat mudcoat or a helicopter and uncle scrooge um, 
country and mid. Why should we? You're lads. You're young and tough and strong. I'm sure you can keep it up with an old, frail duck like me. So yeah, once again, we are taking taken back to the whole Uncle Scrooge is here to prove himself. I, I like that panel a lot. The one where he's obviously stopped and turned around to stare at them and kind of give them that challenge. It may not be like the very best artistic panel, but but it's it kind of packs a nice little punch there. Yeah, I like it myself as well. It's it really is the body language. And Barks is a master of making the duck's expression really show what they say and what they feel. Right. He's, he's still a master of the, the body language. But their Gladstone aren't going to go out prospecting anytime soon because the weather doesn't suit him. So he is heading to the Modern Nord Stars malt shop. Yeah, he, he has a fun way of, it's a very colorful way of singing. I'm not going prospecting till some hour when the sunshine is singing love songs to the buttercups. That's a nice bit of writing. And, and this is very much in keeping with Gladstone's character, obviously. So yeah, the Scrooge and his nephews, they head out into the wilderness. And uh, this is where we really get to, at least I feel that we now get to see that maybe Scrooge Old Tales wasn't that too far outlandish after all. So I, I like that Barks show that Klondike is tough, even if this is obviously gags uh, about mosquitoes and the hardships of the weather and so on. I wouldn't have liked it as much if, um, if all Scrooge's tales was just hogwash or not true at all. So Uncle Scrooge uh, is starting to realize that maybe there isn't that much gold left around in Alaska anymore. And that he's just finding the empty holes from which somebody's already taken all the gold. And, That's a solid little yeah. gag, right? Falling into yeah. this, swinging his pick through the crust and falling into a hole. No, but the, what I really like about it is Uncle Scrooge's expression when he's lying there in the hole. Yeah, he's, he's kind of looking inward. He's you know. stewing. But he's also looking more and more tired as we go on through this. And, uh, yeah. Do you want to tell us about the mosquito gag here, Mark? Yeah. So I'm looking here at this little. Um, I'm trying to imagine if I had read this as a kid. This this to me feels very like menacing, right? They're looking down into a valley, and the nephews don't really know what's going on. Donald talks about how it looks like it's running in circles and Scrooge just looks kind of resigned at it, explaining that it's a valley of mosquitoes all circling. Um, and uh, I just read, I just read the, com the gag itself. So uh, he says, hurry up, you tender feet, get across to the other mountain. They'll cover you like a blanket. And Donald says, good for them. Since I left the hot stove back in Chilblain, this is the first time I've been warm. That's, I think that's a cute little gag. I think that's quite funny. The part of me that appreciates the adventure of these mm -hmm. stories just likes the idea of this valley full of mosquitoes, which I understand the mosquitoes really are. You know, one of the Alaska lingo words that I overlooked is chichaco. I know they, I remember they used a couple of pages ago. Then it's used by gold prospectors to talk about tender feet, right? People who are mm. um, not equipped to handle the harshness, specifically of Alaska, though. Yeah, so the best part is that it, it only continues for the, the next page. 
And you remember how Uncle Surge talked about the wolves and how they had to keep fighting <laughs> and all that? Uh, it feels like we're getting back to that. I really like that. The, the first panel here on the page, uh, would you describe what's happening here, Mark? Yeah, so they've got a fire roaring right behind him and Scrooge, as he's like swinging his pick frantically, is telling them to keep it roaring, boys. If the pick handle gets any colder, it'll shatter like an icicle. But, you know, Scrooge, Donald can't do it lest he shatter too. Can I tell you just about the, I love, I love these panels. This is my, this is certainly my favorite part of the story here. We've got these like four rapid fire panels that are doing a lot of work in explaining the reality of um, how brutal Alaska is, right? That's about the cold. Then the next one says winds play a dirge through his whiskers. And Scrooge is like lashed down to a tree stump being blown horizontally while he's still swinging the pick commenting that he used to find gold by smell, but I've caught such a cold he can't smell. Yeah, <laughs> then, really that yeah it's, it's great. Um, and, and then in the next panel, he's again covered by mosquitoes, commenting, them, telling them to brush these no seams off the pick handle. If it gets any heavier, I can't swing it. And the nephews are similarly covered with mosquitoes, wielding switches to, to brush away the mosquitoes. <laughs> And I'll let you tell talk about that last one. Yeah, so it seems like Uncle Scrooge and Don and the nephews gets themselves a, a fight with wolves. And Uncle Scrooge is uh, shouting, pull those wolves off my back so I can dig. Time is getting short. It's just, it's really golden. Though both the wolves are biting onto Uncle Scrooge's hat and shoulders. And we see Don in the background, background swinging a stick at a wolf who is leaping at him. I, I love this. This panel is probably my favorite so far of the story. It's very funny. It's it's simultaneously adventurous. It's got some great character art. Um, it's it's over the top how the wolves are just gnawing on on him and he's just com almost completely ignoring them. That's great. I, I really like the, that panel. This is really elevating the story in, in my from my point of view. Yeah, another great thing about this whole segment, Mark, is that it makes the story breathe and it makes uh, you feel like there is passage of time. It feels like it really is two to three days going by with all this hardship. And and, and the way it, it just it happens so quickly, panel, 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 panel. But then finally Scrooge suddenly breaks down. He has to rest. <laughs> and he says, I, I guess I'm not as tough as I used to be or as good a prospector. Maybe when I found my fortune, anybody could get rich. Yeah, Scrooge doesn't see that he really is a tough old man. He has been going on presumably without sleep or rest or food for three days, fighting wolves, fighting the wind right. and with a cold. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very clear at this point in the story that he he is the stuff, you know, he really did have the stuff. Um, but but there's like a modernist bent to it, right? The, the idea that all the all everything has been discovered at this point yeah. in the 60s, right? We've now got satellites circling the globes, so the gold fields are are playing out in Bark's mind. There are no, there are fewer of these undiscovered civilizations. That's kind of what I'm reading from this. Yeah, no, but it's the same thing I'm getting out of it, Mark. It's, it's Bark's kind of 
disappointment and cynicism towards what the world has become now during the 60s and we are we are just in 1961 it's barely yeah. it's barely begun <laughs> but yeah it's making Klondike and Alaska into more of a tourist trap uh, at this point now yeah which we l- had a literal tourist trap on display <laughs> earlier so definitely yes even uh, even the mighty uncle Scrooge has to take a rest and that's when Don and uh, the nephews start to discuss how to get back home right they're tired. They're, yeah they, they've been having a really bad time of it obviously and I, I I do feel like right this is a cheating sequence where they're they're about to cheat um, so I, I do feel like Barks did lay enough ground to reveal that, uh, to, to set it up that, you know, justifying why the noble junior woodchucks and Donald would cheat here. It's, it's almost for Scrooge's own good. Yeah. And I also like, uh, Donald is of course saying that, um, well, their plan is of course that they find the rest of the gold nugget boat and they take a little rock to hammer it uh, and pound it into what will then look more like a natural nugget because their plan is of course now to hide the nugget and make uncle scrooge find it so they can get back to town but uh, donald is uh, saying that uh, this nugget is big enough to win him win uncle scrooge the prize uh, but I like that the nephews, they uh, just want Uncle Scrooge to get back for his own good. Um, right. Because they think it would be cheating if Uncle Scrooge actually won with this nugget. Yeah, I, I like that. There's there's just enough groundwork there that it's like a, it's a it's mercy cheating, essentially. And and the um on the previous page when they're kind of tucking him in, you know, you look at Donald's face, it's really affecting there the way that he's yeah. wincing and looking at Scrooge with some real concern. So I, I like this element. I, I think this is nice. So yeah, they hide the little nuggets and uh, all of a sudden the clouds are breaking. The sun is shining. All of a sudden the sunshine is singing low songs to the buttercups. Right. I, I love I love Bark's narrator box where he says soon it is, quote, ice cream weather. Um, and, and he's doing a good job of reminding us exactly why the ducks are worried about um, how nice the weather is here. I, I like the sense of franticness. Yeah. And uh, so Don and the boys start to... They wake up Uncle Scrooge, was a hard time time waking up uh, here. He's really tired. And then who else is coming up the river in this new new fancy boat? When I did my research, I found out that there is a fo- photograph uh, which Barks probably based this photo of Gladstone in his boat on. Oh, it's yeah. not exact same. I, I can see Barks looking at that photo, but then again, I kind of feel the, the view is also kind of generic. So I don't think it's an exact copy of the old photo, but uh, uh, Barks definitely got the inspiration from uh, this photo and uh, stories from the, the Klondike 98 book. But yeah, Gladstone, <laughs> well, he says to or thinks to himself, uh, what ho, I think I see my storm-battered cousins on yonder ridge, if such bedraggled creatures can be relatives of mine. That's some good flowery writing there. Could you... Uh, Tell us what's happening next, Denmark. Yeah, so, I mean, this is very predictable, right? Gladstone is excited for the opportunity to show off. 
um, the ducks are frantic about what they're worried is about to happen. So they're like, they're barely playing it off. Um, they're directing Scrooge exactly where he should dig, saying, oh, you know, that just west of that stub might stump might be a lucky spot. Uh, and they better, you know, they're trying to hurry him along before Gladstone beats him. <laughs> So, so that Gladstone is going to show off and his internal monologue is going to kind of slip into some rhyming verse here. Uh, and he picks up a pebble and he says, now I must find a nugget. So I toss a pebble into the air. It falls to earth. I care not where. For where it falls, need one be told, old Lucky G will find some gold. And he does. He digs the nugget barely buried uh, just out beyond the surface. I really like how Donald is coming running down the hillside here with uh, grinding his teeth and ready to jump Gladstone. <laughs> this next part feels very familiar to me. I wonder if I got to read just a couple of pages at some point, because I don't remember the rest of this story, but this does look familiar. To me. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, no, so Don tries to catch Gladstone and uh, tells him to drop that nugget because that's Uncle Scrooge nugget. And uh, Gladstone just predictively says, how do you mean it's his nugget? I don't see his name on it. Right. And uh, Don falls into the river and immediately pops up again, yelling, we planted it there. We made that nugget out of his gold bolt. Give it back. Gladstone doesn't believe Don's story. And uh, Barks again gives, up, uh, gives us a little flavor language when, uh, when Gladstone is leaving saying, no, wait a minute, this nugget looks genuine to me. I don't believe your story, cousin old boy. But the, the most important thing here is that the plan, um, the nephew's plan of cheating Scrooge is, of course, now revealed to Uncle Scrooge himself, who is now fully awake. And I really like the, the panel here where Uncle Scrooge asked, asks the boys, is that true about Donald says, and reluctantly and very shamefully, the boys have to agree that yes, Uncle Scrooge, we were trying to help you out. And I really like the disappointed expression on Scrooge's face here. He, he looks really sad because yeah. this is hurting him deeply. That they pity him. It is a little bit of fact. I, yeah. I, I do think I, I like that there is a strong theme in this one. You know, being old and played out, and, and how that makes you feel. Okay, I think I remember now why I've read just this part of the story because it's uh <laughs> it's this next sequence here i think it was yeah. highlighted by someone maybe characterizing maybe showing one of the times unfortunately that hasn't aged as well we've got kind of like scrooge in red face i guess basically posing as an indian do you mind if i i just no. talk about what i see in this sequence no no go ahead mark yeah so so scrooge is like oh i've got a couple of tricks up my sleeve i know things about the yukon and its currents and he tricks Gladstone into a channel that's going to lead him into a whirlpool um, by telling him honestly which channel you should go into. And, and he gets spun out, basically, by this whirlpool. And he is so dazed that Scrooge is able to pose as a oof. Okay, so he calls... Yeah. I, I'm looking at the original issue here, Miguel. And he, he, yeah. says, he says the, like, pejorative version of the word indian that that people don't use anymore uh me be he's oh geez he says me be in 
maybe so he says indian but the i-n-j-u-n version of it medicine man that'll sell you herbs that cure them what ails you it is very commonplace how this was done in the early 60s um, but you can probably hear me wincing as I say it, that at least in, yeah. in this is one of the differences too, I think for you guys and the States where some of this stuff, because like, I know people who are like Native American, having grown up in Arizona, not grown up, having lived in Arizona for a long time. And, and this is really just completely out of fashion these days in a way that I feel like it's not in Europe. So I don't know how this how this lands for you. Oh, you're right about that, Mark. We don't have the exact same. We do have a story here in Norway, of course, with the or native people, the Sami people, which was mm -hmm. back in the previous decades and centuries forced to become as Norwegian as possible. They were, of course, Norwegian, but they were forced to forget their own culture and not live with it, um, not use their own clothing or culture and go to schools and be teach how to be a proper Norwegian and not use their own language and so on. And thankfully, we have moved away from that. But uh, we definitely have a similar story here. We just, I don't think we're really confronted it as much as um, yeah. in the US. Yeah, and maybe. obviously yeah. not everyone in the US has confronted it, but um, no. but I I definitely sense that this doesn't this doesn't make some readers in Europe wince the way it it, it does me. It's it's pretty awkward seeing Scrooge posing as an Indian medicine man. And then Gladstone, you know, he he's gonna try and and take Gladstone's boat once he like distracts him with some quote herbs that'll buttercup leaves that'll make him feel better. Um, but the yeah. motor stalls out. And the same gag gets played in reverse by Gladstone on Scrooge, where he also poses as an Indian medicine man. So, like, I know I don't like this gag. Um, this is not a great part of the story. But I don't think it's even just because it's aged poorly. It's a silly gag. I don't, I, I, yeah. it, 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 it stretches the imagination in a lot of ways, right? Whirlpools, like usually they're more hazardous. They're portrayed as more hazardous yeah. than this. So just like it's, it's a big stretch that you would get so dizzy that you would um, essentially be drunk or you know, altered yeah. in that way. So um, definitely this is the worst part of the story for, for a couple of reasons. Yeah, I agree that it's not really the strong. It is definitely not the strongest gag here or segment of the story. Uh, the only positive thing I have to say it is that, uh, of course, Scrooge is very quick, uh, quick to snap out of his uh, sadness or being uh, pulled by his nephews. Uh, mm -hmm. So we very quickly reverts back to old um, his old experience and uh, that brings us back to what i said earlier about parks getting an inspiration from the the klondike 98 book because the whole uh, whirlpool uh, idea here uh, comes from that book oh that's interesting so is there's an actual whirlpool shown in that book yeah uh, there's no photo of it uh, i um, they just have the Norwegian Karl Barks library to look through with um, 
Geoffrey Blum's uh, articles, but uh, apparently there should be uh, descriptions of uh, such whirlpools there. Nice. Yeah, it's always funny to me. There's there's a few whirlpools in the Bark stories as there are throughout comics yeah. and cartoons. And um, it's it's just like how people comment, boy, I, I when I was a kid, I sure thought quicksand was going to be a bigger <laughs> problem than it ended up. It's, it's the same deal with whirlpools. I have never in my days seen a whirlpool other than when I'm letting out the bathtub water. <laughs> no, I also never seen a whirlpool made of money. Uh, <laughs> right. But that's also going to show up later on in Bark's uh, stories. But yeah, uh, and also the whole uh, the buttercup verbs um, uh, almost forgot about them, but that's also something Bark's might have gotten from the, the Klondike 98 book. But then, yeah, um, it I'm, seems like I'm guessing it's yeah. probably an actual native remedy. It seems like yeah. it's it's too bad that they just have to do the kind of like Indian face, you know. Yeah. But but again, I get it. It was very it was so commonplace at that time as to just be a trope, right? It was shorthand for yeah. for this kind of gag. But at some point, it's it's possible for something to be repeated so much that people just understand it to be funny and they laugh at it like almost automatically. So that's yeah. that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, and I agree on that, that it's kind of a meme of the time that people didn't understand. But yeah, Scrooge is once again quickly beaten by Glenstone and this time he's really down. Uh, as soon as he recovers from uh, his dizziness and uh, his chewing uh, the herbs, which I actually think uh, the natives probably used more to cure um, uh, a bad stomach. <laughs> Not probably. Business, but, um... Likely unsafe, I think. <laughs> so according according to Google, Mikael, buttercup, yeah. fresh buttercup is likely unsafe when taken by mouth. It may cause severe irritation of the digestive tract, <laughs> abdominal pain, vomiting, and diarrhea. <laughs> so, uh, so don't do that, I guess. Oh, okay. So it looks like they can be dried. Um, the parts that grow above ground can be dried and used for medicine. This is kind of interesting. Okay, but yeah, both both Scrooge and Gladstone are about to have a very bad time. Don't do don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> As Scrooge is walking um, across the riverbank and uh, pondering on how Gladstone could uh, beat him, saying to himself, "It's funny how Gladstone's luck." works so magically. All he did to find gold was toss a pebble. And uh, do you mind telling us what Scrooge does to his, with this pebble, Mark? The exact same pebble that Gladstone tossed earlier? Yeah, I, I like this sequence a lot, right? It feels very poetic. He picks up that very same pebble, tosses it behind him, and it lands with a very funny sound that he instantly recognizes as being a giant golden nugget buried barely beneath the ground obviously a nugget I'm, i think this would be the largest golden nugget ever discovered basically yeah that's some really big potato <laughs> so um so yeah you know they they discover what is about to become the titular nugget of the story right it's it's okay. vaguely shaped like a boat just enough um just enough shaped like a boat to give the idea that they're going to uh, they're going to fetch wood and pitch that'll burn hot and and reshape this big yellow potato. I like this. Scrooge has like lost interest in even trying to win the competition. 
you know? This was never really about the competition. He has won, or Barks is telling us that Scrooge has won the competition against himself. Right. He has proven, proven himself. But uh, yeah, we will get back to that. I, I'm not quite sure if I agree on that. But, uh, yeah, but I mean, it, it, but you're, I think you're right because like, we didn't even just learn about the the sourdough competition until nearly halfway through the story. Uh, but yeah, uh, we don't we then shift over to uh, to Gladstone, who is back in town. There he is crowned the champion of the sourdoughs by um, a grand beauty queen, a kind of typical Miss Universe of uh, bark stories. There is a blonde uh, duck woman, and then we have uh, this guy wearing a top hat asking. Gladstone the Champo, uh, what kind of method they used to, to find the nuggets? To which Gladstone, wearing <laughs> this huge crown, is saying, Method? Oh, let's uh, just let us say it's a professional secret. Um, uh, and then this next panel is pretty cute here, right? We've got a bunch of busted old sourdoughs who are despairing how a tenderfoot has beat all of them. And, Worst of all, no old timer found anything at all. So this feels like kind of a rushed way to um, add some weight to Scrooge's like triumph here. Yeah, he wasn't alone uh, of not actually finding gold there. Right. At least for the most part of the story, uh, everyone was failing. And uh, I really like the expressions on the, the face of these old timers, especially the old man with the uh, with the beard and the pipe. He really, yeah, he really stands I like, out. I like that too. They all look great. Very, um, very authentic, at least the duck and dog and pig versions of, of busted old sourdoughs. Yeah, and that tiny little guy with, with the real <laughs> don't turn mouth. But yeah, the most important thing is uh, what happens next uh, as we now move towards the ending of the story. And uh, we have another guy seeing something around the corner. Do you want to explain what, what he sees, Mark? Yeah, this, this ends up being the ducks returning triumphantly. They have fashioned that large nugget into a very ornate um, classical looking boat with, with almost a, a ship's head, right? A figurehead um, that, of course, is a beaming duck wearing its own crown. Uh, and, and they explain to the crowd how they've pounded it out of a single nugget. Um, everyone is very animated. <laughs> the master of ceremonies says, tell us, Mr. Should Have Been Champ, how did you find that gold? What method did you use? And uh, Scrooge echoes Gladstone's line here saying, let's, let us say it's a professional secret. So, you know, he turns, he, that's his gag ending, the, the little, this, this is not the strongest ending, maybe, Mikhail, right? I mean, the actual no. showing up in the boat is, is a nice, like, piece of theater showmanship, and, and that's a very appealing panel. I like that panel a lot. But if we wanted to have made that gag line have more of a punch, it, it should have been referenced earlier in the story, yeah. right? It should have echoed at least one more time. I feel like, um, and there probably would have been room. It, I don't think it would have been too hard to do it because we've just heard it. I don't think he used it beforehand, right? This is only the no, second no, time. Um, yeah, only twice on the very last page. So um, it feels like an afterthought of a gag. Um, but I mean, and and then it, it makes sense that Gladstone is covering up for that because like his was pure luck waiting for that ice cream weather and immediately finding the nugget. But Scrooge, like, yes, he had some luck, but he also put in the work and ultimately every gold miner 
um, every major strike came down to both things, hard work and some luck. There are plenty of sourdoughs who put in immense hard work, but they didn't have any of that luck. So I don't know. I'm overthinking really, that maybe. But. No, I, don't, I don't think you're really overthinking it at all, Mark. I think you are hitting the needle on the head uh, right there because it's true. You need both luck and the hard work because back to the Klondike from 53, kind of demonstrated that Scrooge is the, he's the lucky winner. He made it out of the Klondike rich. And uh, Glittering Goldie did transform into a hardworking, uh, resourceful woman who tried to make a fortune for himself, for herself on Scrooge old claim, but she didn't succeed. She was yeah. the unlucky one. And uh, of course, there was t- hundreds of, or thousands of people who did not make any fortune out of the Klondike Gold Rush. There was a lot right. of people who simply died there. Exactly. Mm. So so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of digesting the story here, Mikkel. You know what, Mikkel, while I digest this story, why don't you tell me what you thought of it? Ultimately, how do you th- how well do you think this works? I've been debating with myself whether or not the story succeeds in its in its message because to me the whole story is about Uncle Scrooge proving himself to himself. He has to prove that he still got it. And when I first reread the story, now I kind of felt that the whole premise fell apart. Once Scrooge has to rely on luck, he's just repeating Gladstone's trick by throwing a pebble and it lands. More or less right there um, where Gladstone's original throw um, made the pebble land. So you could say that Gladstone was kind of meant to actually find the giant nugget, uh-huh. but that the nephew was accidentally foiled him. But then again, I feel like Scrooge, Scrooge did earn the victory. He has been working hard for three days. He has proven that he still got it. He is strong. He, as I said earlier, he didn't sleep, he didn't eat, he didn't rest for three days. And it proved that his old stories wasn't just stories, even if they are exaggerated greatly. So even if Scrooge has to rely on luck in the end, I feel like he, he does actually prove himself. Even if the story doesn't really succeed on all um, gag tropes like Gladstone's talk about method um, and all that, that could have been introduced earlier very easily, actually. He could have been asked how he keeps winning uh, the prizes and so on, and then he would just say, oh, that's a professional secret. Right. But the point is that Scrooge, yeah, he proves himself. So the story does succeed in its in its premise. Yeah, so so what do you think, Mark? Do you think the story succeeds? Uh, or does Mark's, does he actually show Scrooge proving himself? So there's a couple of questions there, right? Whether, whether the story succeeds and whether Scrooge kind of proves himself. And I'm, because I'm just reading the story right now, I'm naturally more concerned on whether it works in and of itself as a story um, and less about what it says thematically. I probably would have been thinking more about that if it had been something that I'd grown up reading over and over. But but that's the interesting difference because I read this story many times growing up and now I get to to wonder about the the thematics of the story. Does it succeed in its message? Right, right. Whereas I'm kind of just, just surface level right so so from a surface level point of view i have to say i'm very pleasantly surprised by this one because i knew that it was not like a very well regarded story let's see i'm just kind of taking a look at where it is in my spreadsheet here it's it's down with stories that i regard 
as at least weak or pretty far below average. You know, this is like ranked uh, just around where the Doom Diamond ranks and Donald Duck mm. finds pirate gold and um, just a little bit above the golden Christmas tree. Stories that that are not his most successful. It is, at least in the moment that I captured, it is literally his 100th, no, 101st ranked story, um, adventure-length story out of roughly 120. So pretty pretty far down the list. Uh, and I, so I was kind of prepared to think that this one generally didn't work, right? That's what I would think of a story like that being. Um, but for me, the story generally worked very well, and I found this very enjoyable. I found this very entertaining. Uh, I found that it was it was quite well paced. It it's 19 pages, so you know shorter than a lot of his all time great adventure stories. But he doesn't always need that many pages to do a great adventure. Um, just look at how short like Tra La La is. So like I I found that this had it could definitely i think have benefited from a couple of more pages um and and for sure that little bit with the the medicine man bit you know it drags it down for me it's a little bit distracting but there were some very strong moments i like that quiz show sequence a lot i loved the prospecting under fire sequence right where all the extremities of alaska are just trying to like beat him down i thought that was as good as anything he's done in this era. Um, very entertaining, very, very funny. I do feel like I, I was kind of expecting to discover what became of the original Golden Nugget boat. Like, where did it come from? It's 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 kind of a MacGuffin that didn't go anywhere. I mean, it, it like it worked in, it worked its purpose of kind of getting there and, and, you know, inspiring them to like giving them the, the way to make this fake nugget and, and um, to fashion a boat to return in triumph. So in that sense, it worked, but it was part of me that was kind of waiting for him to close that circle of where it came from. Maybe that's not something that other, other people were expecting. Is that something that ever, do you think that ever crossed your mind to wonder about its origin? No, I, I don't think I really thought about it. Maybe because I didn't really think about this as a child, I just accepted that this is a golden nugget made into a little ship by an old prospector. Yeah. I just took it for what Barks presented it as. But of course, we could have gotten a whole different story if there was a secret treasure map to an old uh, mine or something in, engraved inside the inside the, the details of the little boat or something. Uh, right. That would be a different story. It wouldn't be Scourge uh, proving himself. But then again, I also feel this story could have done that better and benefited from more pages to actually explore the, the core of the idea here. And I do wish that Marks would have focused more on the Scrooge proving himself. But then again, the, the period of time he made this story, he, he is more tired. He will get more of the spirit back later on in the 60s. But I think it was more important for him to just tell a story here and here he has the idea of a new story he's kind of moving away from recycling old story ideas at this point yeah i don't see this as a recycling of back, back to the klondike or anything it's just uh, picking up the klondike uh, trope again yeah it's it's just another story set in the klondike he's definitely going to do a better job um 
in north of the Yukon of like yeah, evoking the spirit of back to the Klondike, right? That one is just that, that one has so much heart in it. This one, this one doesn't have a lot of heart, I think you can say. No. Um you don't get a lot of heart in a lot of the stories that have Gladstone Gander because it's almost like his good luck and his um, general obnoxiousness rubs off on the other characters a little bit and, and makes them maybe make choices that they wouldn't otherwise make, like what the nephews did here, you know? Some of that surely is driven by the frustration of Gladstone and his luck. I, I don't think that this explored this, the same theme nearly as successfully as City of Golden Roofs, uh, which did a really good job at, you know, having Scrooge kind of ponder that idea. But you know, this one, I, I will uh, definitely have to say it's better. It's, it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I did, I found this very entertaining out of the two stories that I hadn't read in full, the other being the Forbidium Money Bin. Um, I definitely view this as a much stronger story. I, I think, yeah, I'm not going to say that this is underrated, but it, so this has it in the bottom, what, roughly sextile, I guess. If you're at 101 out of about 120, that's in the bottom sixth of Bark's adventure stories. So yeah, you know, I'll buy that. That feels about right. But um, but I definitely found this pretty enjoyable. Michael, mm. you know I like to check in on, on Index and talk about the community rating so you know what is this one at uh, this story is rated at uh, 7.3 out of 10 and ranked uh, 578 out of uh, the 43,109 stories uh, on index yep as of right now so you know it's definitely we're in uh we are outside of the top 500 greatest Disney comics, which, you know, fair. This is nothing, this is nothing special. Um, but I, I will say I found this very enjoyable and uh, I'm I'm very grateful to it for that sequence, uh, especially with the the wolves. That that sequence is the standout for me. We're talking about favorite panels, you know, the wolves is probably, probably my favorite panel. What what about you? Well, there are some panels I really like the panel with Scrooge is enlisting for the competition. I like his poster and uh, and how all the, all the other prospectors around there are smiling at him. Like they are seemingly not believing him to be that tough after all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that too. I do think I would agree with you that the, the panel with the wolves is it's really standing out. There is so much going on here, and you have this whole different story with Donald and uh, the nephews uh, beating the wolves with sticks in the background. It's The panel is also kind of cut off, so you don't see all the action there, and that leaves room to imagine what the other two nephews, because you only see two, one of the boys. Yeah. So you can on, imagine what the other boys are doing. Right. <laughs> are on, on the other wolves, hand, so. it, it might have been nice if it had been a, uh, you know, splash panel that had at least spanned the page, even if it was only a quarter page size. That could have been a neat one. What do we get? Yeah. We get one splash, big splash panel. We get we get the full length spanning splash panel on the the last page. And then is there another splash in this one? Uh, it's only the opening panel, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So at least he got to do 
at least he got to do a couple of larger size panels here. That's definitely yeah. something that we miss out in these early um, 60s ones. Yeah, but this is also the time when Barks is probably, for a time at least, not going to do that many splash panels because he's going to be afraid of them just being removed. Right. So I... So here's something interesting in looking up the like series AM site that links from Index. Um, okay. This one apparently was like a backup that he threw together really quickly because he had this. There is a big what if Barks story that was supposed to appear in Uncle Scrooge number 35 that was going to mm-hmm. have some involvement in the Aswan Dam. Yes, I read about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so that that would have been really interesting, right? Like, man, he says here this was a an issue, a, a letter to Malcolm Willits. He says Scrooge number thirty three will have no un, unplanned cuts. I guess he was talking about uh, there. There was apparently an ad stunt in the story that he was able to fit into it in time. I'm not sure exactly what he's referencing here because I didn't notice any pages that were cut off. But um, he said, I found out about the ad stunt in time to write the book's material to fit. Uh, So maybe he was going to get an extra page or something. The main Scrooge story will be about Alaska and the finding of nuggets. No world beater of a story, but I needed a substitute fast for the Egyptian Aswan Dam tale which I've decided to junk. Have you noticed the way the ancient statues and temples will be raised above the future level of the water is by a method as fully wacky as the one I'd vaguely planned for Uncle Scrooge? The nerve of mere humans to steal Uncle Scrooge's stuff. Man, that really makes you wonder what could have been. Uh, It makes me think too. I wonder why Don Rosa never, I I don't know if he encountered this letter. I, I think he must have, but... Um, why Rosa or someone else didn't, you know, do a tale about this. We could ask him on Facebook, perhaps. Just write it on the Don Rosa Facebook page and see if he, yeah. See yeah. If he responds. One could. Um, didn't, did Romano Scarpa do a story that was about the Aswan Dam? Am I remembering right? Or am I getting that mixed up with the, like, Babylon lentils or something? I don't know. I can't remember any Romano Scarpa um, story about that at the moment. Well, I know that this, I think this happening, right? We're about to come, we're about to start to get to feature Magicka Dispel stories, right? And and as I've already recorded at least one, um, Barks really is is about to lean into featuring Magicka Dispel because like he doesn't have to worry about geopolitics kind of getting in the way of of his stories. You sense that he's a little bit jaded by the 60s, right? Where yeah. like it's it's not it's out of fashion. Politics is really encroaching on some of his storytelling ideas. So um so you sense he's kind of playing it safe in some regards here. Yeah, it's not too long ago since you released um, the All at Sea episode, and yeah. there he kind of got into the modern day politics. And with this uh, Oswald Dam project, he would get even more involved in right, exactly politics. Well, well, Mikkel, I I think this was a really interesting one to talk about. I got a real kick out of um, doing it live, experiencing it for the first time, at least most of it. And now I realize, oh, there are a few pages here and there. I think I've experienced in in just reading about Barks, but 
yeah, but I, yeah, it's been really fun going through the story with you, Mark, and see how and hear about you what you thought about it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I really... have any long bark stories to experience for the first time anymore. It's the well is run dry. <laughs> so at any rate, let's see. Really appreciate getting to do this one with you. I hope people will check us out next. Boy, next episode is going to be a very exciting one because we are going to get to cover uh, a Magicka Dispel story. It's going to be the podcast's first time because it is going to be the famous, the Italian sorceress's first appearance in the Midas Touch. And uh, I've got an Italian guest to join me for that one too, which is something that I've wanted to to get to do for a while. So check that out and check us out on the socials, on Facebook and sometimes on Instagram. And you can contact us at uh, barksremarks at gmail.com. Yeah, Mikhail, I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for having me, Mark. And it's always a pleasure. <laughs>